It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. I don't know what you think about this, but I think, here's, here's what I think, is that a lot of the reason that we don't share our faith with others is because we think we've got to we've got to get them to cross the line the first time we share the faith with them. And so we draw back, but that's not the right perspective. You know, we water, we plant, we want to help somebody move maybe one baby step forward. I think that's a better perspective. And Aaron Bolduke is with us. He serves with Ambassadors for Christ International, and he's a guy that's just very gifted at sharing his faith, but also at coaching us up to share our faith. And You've got a great story that just that just illustrates how this is not a, a one-and-done thing. This is a process as yeah. we love people. Yeah, you know, and there are those times, of course, and I could tell stories about that too, where you meet a stranger, you meet someone, you share Christ with them for the first time, the, their heart's already there, and all they were doing was just waiting on the message, right? Yeah. But I do think that one of the things that's really important for us as we engage in the evangelistic ministry, which we've all been called to do, is to have a proper perspective so that we don't get discouraged. Satan wants to discourage you. He wants you to think that you messed up and that you did a bad job and, and all these other things. But there's really no such thing as a, as, a, as a good or a bad evangelist. I would say there's something, I would maybe call it a faithful or unfaithful evangelist, right? <laughs> One story that I like to share is that of my wife's grandfather. He was, uh, you know, came from a tough upbringing in Detroit at 15 or so years old. I think he was already out on his own. And I think he would have described his career at that time as a professional pool hustler, right? So maybe not the most, uh, you know, prestigious job, right? But he was, he was witness to and, 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 and came to faith. Well, his brother, on the other hand, did not and was not interested. And for the whole course of his life, he faithfully witnessed, invited them to, you know, church events, shared the gospel, shared his testimony, all these things. Well, he passes away. And at the funeral, he, he, he turned out to be one of these guys who was an elder in the church and was a real pillar of faith in the community. And, you know, at his funeral, of course, there's all these people sharing testimonies and sharing stories about his life and about Jesus and all these other things. And at that funeral... His brother, who at that time I believe he'd been witnessing to for probably, I'm certain, more than 50 years. That's the day mm. that he came to faith. And so one of the things we have to remember is that when we're doing evangelism, again, the, the Lord is the harvester and we are the planters and we are the waterers, right? And so you may not ever see the fruit even of something that you've done, but you have to trust in God, be faithful, right? Like I said, there's not good and bad evangelists. There's faithful, unfaithful. It's the same thing with like giving and tithing. I can't say, well, I don't have the gift of giving and then never give. And it's the same thing for all of us in regards to evangelism. You can't say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm not going to obey Jesus in that, right? Our call is to be faithful, to trust the Lord in the process, and to trust him ultimately with the results. And here's what you have. You have, you know, John 3.16, you know, John 3.16, you know how to pray, you know, to work on a person's heart, the person you're reaching out to, and you've got a story. You've got a story of what Jesus, how Jesus brought you to himself. You've got stories of how Jesus is working in your life. So that's something to work with right now. So just start doing those things. And when you can't figure it out, 
just say, I don't know. I'm going to get the answer to that. Yeah. And you can be sure this, this watering and this planning stuff is real. I mean, for every person that I've ever had a chance to lead the, uh, to Christ, for example, on the first try, you can bet that there was a praying grandmother and a witnessing grandpa and a mom and dad who were fighting through those teenage years with that person. And so very, very rarely does someone come to faith where there hasn't already been planting and watering and praying. It's all about the team. That's right. We are Team Jesus. A lot of people are involved in one person coming to faith. Got a question from Stephanie, our good friend Stephanie. And Stephanie, you ready for this, Aaron? Yeah. She says, I'm meeting a friend today who's told me several times, I'm not religious. I'm not interested. We are friends through pickleball, and that's it. Do you have any ideas about the next questions to ask her? Sure. And first off, Stephanie, uh, thanks for your question. And thanks for the fact that you are being intentional with your relationships. I believe God wants us to be intentional with our relationships. You know, and when you're dealing with somebody who uh, has been maybe a little bit vocal about their lack of belief, uh, what I would encourage you to do is to find the common ground. And what the common ground is that everybody has is we have, one, we have been sinned against, and two, we have sinned ourselves. And Jesus Christ is the answer to sin. And so the posture that you need to take when you're witnessing to your friend is that of of great humility. What you don't want to do is you don't want to sit down and tell your friend how, uh, how your life is so awesome how you're so blessed and how you've been successful and how the Lord has given you all of these things. Instead, what you want to do is what Paul encourages us to do in 1 Timothy when he shares his testimony. When Paul shares his testimony in 1 Timothy verse 15 and 16 and 17 and beyond, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And even though it's going to be a little bit difficult, what I would encourage you to do is when you're sitting down with your friend, share some of the things that have been hard in your life and not just hard experiences like I didn't make the volleyball team when 11th grade, right? I'm talking about I've struggled with these types of, of sins and these types of hurts in my life and try to find the common ground and see if there's a relatable point there that we made. Because what you're doing when you're doing that is you're humbling yourself in front of that person. You know, when we're doing evangelism, ultimately we have to get to the place where we do talk about the fact that every single person is a sinner and that Jesus Christ has claimed and is the answer to our sin problem by his death perfect life is resurrection. And so what you want to do is you want to sit down with her and try to get into the subject of sin, which I know sounds hard, but using yourself as the example. And think about it this way. If the apostle Paul, who I think we could say is the number two, at least the number two guy in the New Testament, he wrote 13 of the books. He's not Jesus, but he's probably, you know, if if it was college football, he'd be the number two ranked team, right? He's, He's like the number two guy. And when Paul describes himself, Instead of saying, and there are other times where he says, I'm an apostle and I've done this. But when he's giving his personal testimony, what Paul says is, here's a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came to earth to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And if Paul himself was one of the worst sinners, how could we not consider ourselves to be the same? And so as you approach it, obviously pray up 
But I want to encourage you, handle it with great humility. Do not present yourself in a self-righteous manner. Instead, present yourself as somebody who has desperately needed Jesus. And if you've already been building this relationship, she's probably seen, this friend of yours has probably seen that you're a little different, that you're not living the same way as the world. And when you're able to sit down with someone who's seen your life and seen that example and then tell them, I need Jesus. This is how Jesus saved me. This is what Jesus saved me from. Have you ever struggled with any of these things? What's your solution to these things? I think it's a great way to go about it. I have a question, Aaron, from Chris. And Chris says, I work with four Jehovah's Witnesses one manager and three younger guys. I have a good rapport with all of them, but the only one I've broached Christ with is the manager. They are reluctant to meeting on neutral ground. I want to make the most of the opportunity. Do I just ask where their kingdom hall is and breach the gates? (laughs) What's some advice for sharing Jesus with them? Sure. And what was our friend's name again? Chris. Chris. All right. Well, Chris, thanks. First of all, uh, as a a believer, we want to be out making friends and having those kind of relationships and especially with people who aren't always Christians, right? And so uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses, it is a tricky situation in part because they have a particular translation of the Bible that they call the New World Translation. And in that translation, there's uh, some controversial interpretations which lead them to what we would consider to be some errors primarily about who Jesus Christ is, right? So the first thing you have to understand about Jehovah's Witnesses is that they do not believe that Jesus Christ was divine in nature, which from our perspective as Protestant believers is makes salvation impossible because if Jesus wasn't the Son of God, then he wasn't able to make atonement for our sins. Um, that's tricky stuff. But on the other hand, too, they also believe, and I think probably a, a good way to, to approach this is that they really believe that salvation is a combination of faith and works rather than just by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And what, what, what happens there is, is even though they have this translation that they get around, especially passages like John 1, 1 uh, and some of these other passages, it's impossible to get through the whole Bible, especially the New Testament, without finding that Jesus Christ alone is the path unto salvation. You know, we see that in John 3, 16 and Romans 4, just tons of different places, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Um, but another thing that I'd like you to consider while trying to witness to a Jehovah's Witness is that you're not necessarily trying to um, have an argument with them as much as you are trying to show them uh that their sin can't be covered by good works, right? There are some tricky questions that you can ask them. They're very good at tricky questions for us. Here's one that would be tricky for them is, uh, can someone be saved without being a Jehovah's Witness? Mm-hmm. And ask them that question, let them think about it. And then when they answer, say, well, if so, then how were people saved before your organization was formed? I think that's a really important question considering that this is a newer religion in the in the sense of world religions. And if they can't really believe that anyone else can be saved without being a Jehovah's Witness, that that means that no one was ever saved until they figured it out 120 years ago or however long ago that was. Um, you know, it, I think again, it's 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 a it's a very sensitive subject because they're going to want to use their version of the Bible which 
the vast, vast majority of Christian scholars, Greek scholars in particular, uh, would say is an error. But I really do like the question, you know, remember, this isn't magicians doing magic, right? We've said that several times with evangelism. I, your expectation has to be right. You know, uh, when I was in college, I took a class on the history of Michigan, and they said you could walk from Lake Huron to Lake Michigan and never see the sun, which meaning the forest was so dense and so thick. And, and, and you know, that'd be beautiful. It'd be nice for hunting. But if you want to have a village, uh, you have to have farms, right? And so for a few chapters in that book, they just talk about how much hard work cutting down and burning down the forest. And then after the forest was mo- removed, people died during this process, right? And it would be like, they would have to go back then and get the rocks out of the dirt and boulders and all of this hard, hard, hard work that's taking place. And at the end of that, all they had was good dirt. And I like to give that as an analogy, especially when you're witnessing to someone maybe who's a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, is that there's a lot of legwork. There's a lot of soil preparation. And you've been doing some of that by being a faithful friend, by being a good employee. Uh, And now if you want to engage into the witnessing, just understand that you're probably not, and I'll use this term very loosely, you're not going in for the kill most likely on the first shot. You're trying to go in, ask some challenging questions show a few passages where the scripture is very clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, right? Or that Ephesians 2, that we've been saved by grace and through faith, and it's not of ourselves, right? It's a gift of God, um, and that that comes through Jesus Christ. So those would be some passages. And again, ask that question. Can someone be saved without being a Jehovah's Witness? Wait for the answer, but then ask them. So then how was anyone ever saved before your organization started? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good way to go. It's a good seed to plant. And you're going to engage yourself in a a process. And, and, And to encourage you, you may engage yourself in a process that you yourself may never see the final result in. But that's not up to us. Our job is to engage, to go till, to plant, to water. And, and then the Lord can do the harvesting. And so I encourage you to go in there with faith and with courage, but also with a proper perspective that this is going to be a difficult assignment uh, and that most likely you're not going to see what you want the first time you try. But with God, all things are possible. That's right. And salvation is a miracle no matter what, whoever you're sharing with, whether they're a Jehovah's Witness or they're your pagan neighbor, you know, who's into Mother Earth, whatever. Yeah, totally. So, and then, you know, I think that building a bridge of trust strong enough to hold the weight of the truth. You know, you're building that relationship. You're building that trust. And Jehovah's Witnesses, I think too often, we've looked at them as, we've thrown them under the bus. They're our enemies. They're not our enemies. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, thank you for listening. You're, You're my friend. I consider you my friend. I'd love to get to know you. You know, I think this is the posture we need to have, that posture of humility and and just believing that salvation is a miracle. 100%. And if you think about this, yes, they may be caught up in what we would consider a false system of religion. But if God hadn't opened our eyes, we would be as well. Yep. Right. And so we have to take that approach. You know, you can't get into an argument. You can't get feisty, uh, you know, um, because it will be hard. It's hard work, especially if they're well-versed because they're going to tell you things that are wrong. Uh, They're going to tell you things that are in error. But to remember that apart from the miracle of God opening our eyes as well, we would be in error too. So you're making your plea to them, like Peter says, to be reconciled to God. You're making our plea. 
with an evangelist, we can be coached up, you know, coached up by guys like Aaron who are, we're not necessarily gifted to, you know, share the faith like he does, but his job is to equip us. And so I'm one of those guys who I'm not an evangelist like you are, Aaron, but I do love to share my faith and I do, and I am willing to take the risk to step in and, you know, so, and I learn, you know, by doing that. So I was at the sauna at MVP uh, during the Christmas break and there was a guy in there, just one guy in there. And I said to him, so is your faith important to you? And he said, oh yeah, it is, you know, and it, it wasn't always important to me. And he went on to share some of that. Well, just as I asked this question, all these young guys came into the sauna. They, you know, I think they were like high school kids, probably six of them at one time. And so I thought, man, here's an opportunity. This is going to be a little bit of a risk because I usually like to talk about faith one-on-one with just one or two people in the sauna, but here's six young guys. So I went ahead and just said, I shared my, my faith story, you know, grew up as a teenager and I was following Jesus, but just had all, all kinds of, of really rotten sin in my life and was just failing all the time. And then, you know, and then when I was 18 years old, I was playing hoops and I just destroyed my ankle and uh, my friends carried me home, put me on the couch, asked my mom to pray for me. And Jesus just took the pain out of my ankle immediately. And, and I was, I always thought that I'm sharing this, right? And I said, I always thought that, you know, being a Christian was being good enough. And here was Jesus healing me when I was at my moral worst, so I realized at that time that Jesus loves me as I am, as the sinner that I am. And that was the thing that really changed my heart. So I got to share all of that with these teenage guys who were listening in, but they didn't, they acted like they weren't listening to me and that sure. they didn't hear me. But that was just an opportunity where, where I stepped in and I'm not necessarily you know, super gifted at evangelism, but I've learned some things along the way. I've learned from people like you about, you know, sharing the faith. Well, I got to say too, and that's pretty bold because generally like if I'm coaching someone up, I don't tell them, you know, like, get in a towel and then hop into a room with a bunch of guys, uh, you know, and, and then I can tell you've been coached a little bit because, you know, you didn't open up by saying like, well, hey, if you think it's hot in here, um, <laughs> right? I mean, right. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, it is, it's part of it. It's the, in the scriptures, it teaches us, you know, we're looking for opportunities, right? And sometimes it could be, you know, I had an experience just a couple of weeks ago at a restaurant in Holland where I was with a friend of mine and I had prayed that the Lord would give us a waitress who would be open and, uh, you know, you get away with a lot of stuff if you just say, hey, this might sound weird. So, I, right, she comes up, offers us our drinks, everything. I say, hey, this might sound weird, but me and my friend Brad here, we really love Jesus. And we're going to pray for our food in a minute, and can we pray for you? Hmm. Right? And she immediately broke down in tears, walked away from our table. Wow. Comes back five minutes later, and she's just sharing with us some of the hurts and pains in her life. And, and we were able to share with her as well. And it's just, you know, looking for an opportunity. And even if you're just sitting at a restaurant or in a sauna, right, and just having the opportunity, sometimes even just if you don't know what to say, just say, hey, you know, this might sound weird, but I'm going to pray for my food in a minute. Can I pray for you too? You, right? just, you just asked a question. That's it. You know, and then you, if you ask a question and somebody responds like that, you know the Lord's at work in their life. 100%.
So let's talk about this evangelist thing. You're an evangelist. So does that, you know, get us off the hook, me off the hook, Ben off the hook, you listening off the hook? Well, sure. I mean, I think a lot of times, even when we talk about evangelism or evangelists especially, we actually immediately get away from the Bible and start just talking about people from the past, right? And and when you look in the scriptures, there's actually two, uh, there's two different uh, people who are named an evangelist. One is Stephen, uh, and the other is Philip. Uh, you know, Stephen, uh, we kind of know his job. He, uh, he had to have some hard messages and ended up getting stoned, uh, stoned for what he had to say. Right. And then there's the Philip side of things too, which is, you know, Philip was a deacon at one of the local assemblies, essentially you want to say, and was a shared resource amongst the churches. And really in a lot of ways, uh, you know, that kind of says what is an evangelist, well, an evangelist is somebody, according to Ephesians 4, who is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, just alongside the same as, like it says, you know, pastors, teachers, etc. cetera. Um, but the reality is, is that evangelism is not a magic trick done by magicians. Mm. It is hard work that everyone has been called to. And sometimes when I'm teaching on evangelism, I'll actually encourage people to rethink it and more think of it like tithing. Right, tithing we know and, and giving to your local church, giving to ministries is is a is a task that the Lord has given us. It's an obedience, um, and it costs you something. It's really easy to see what it costs you because if you give, you go to your bank account, and look, you'll see that something's been taken out. Right, where evangelism is much much more something that costs you in the social realm. Right, it could cost you your place in line, it could cost you a promotion at work, or it could. As you feel sometimes attention, it could it feels like maybe cost you a relationship, but it's something that the the Lord has commanded all of us to do. And yes, there are people who are evangelists who are maybe uniquely gifted in it, but ultimately it's an assignment that every Christian's been called to do. So what I hear you saying is that there are people like yourself who have the gift of evangelism in the church, but we don't just leave it to you to do the job. You're gifted, you know, you're winning people to Jesus, you know, sharing the gospel, but also helping us learn how to do it better. So do you have a way of kind of bringing this home, describing this for us? Sure. Well, think of it like this. An evangelist, we'll use a military analogy, right? An evangelist is kind of like a Delta Force guy. He's out on the front lines doing really hard work, getting dirty. Uh, and the church ought to be more like a training center. Um, but I think we've got a little out of balance in the church, uh, uh, we have we're really blessed with 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 tremendous teachers, and we're blessed with tremendous pastors. Teachers are there to give us knowledge. Pastors are there to protect the flock. But what's happened is, is when the evangelist is absent for too long, instead of it being a base, it turns into the mess hall, right? And it's a place where everyone goes and gets fed and gets comfortable. Mm. And the evangelist is the one who's supposed to come in from the front lines and remind everybody that we need to be out there together engaging in the battle. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? Like when you come into a, a church? Yeah. So when I come into a church, it can look a little bit different. It depends. You know, there's lots of variety uh, in the Western church. There's churches that will say are deep and there's churches that will say are wide. How about that? And so kind of as an evangelist, you have to be discerning when you come in. You may come into a church that's been taught really well. They have a ton of information. They understand the gospel really in an excellent way. And they really need to be spurred along and pushed out the door a little bit, right? And other times you come to a church where it may be a church with younger believers, people who haven't been discipled as long or as far yet. And so in that instance, you're going to come in and try to teach the depth 
of the gospel. And really that's a key thing because uh, evangelism ultimately isn't a tactical practice where you're, you know, mastering some super strategy. It's an overflow of depth and knowledge and love of God, right? So as you learn the gospel more, it flows out of you more freely, right? And as you learn the gospel more, it lets you be creative in the way that you reach people for Jesus, if that makes sense. Yeah, and let's just land this here with with just uh, something really practical. What's one way today, one way today, we can be a better sharer of the faith, evangelist? Well, one way that you can, that everybody can do it today is I think the most important thing is first is to pray, right? We see in the scripture, uh, Christ has told us that the harvest is great, the workers are few, but then the very next words are, so pray mm. to the Lord of the harvest. And if you want to to be engaged, it is a scary job. It really is, especially in our culture. Uh, you know, in the West here where we live, it used to be a less persecutable offense, we'll say. And nowadays, yeah, you bet you have to buckle up because somebody might immediately dislike you or immediately have a negative comment to say. And and, and we, we really are just back with the rest of the world now, right? And so when you pray, you ask the Lord for strength, you ask the Lord for wisdom. And then, as I always say, the deadly prayer request, if you want a prayer that God says yes to almost every time, ask him, Lord, show me someone today hmm. who needs you and give me the courage to say something. Aaron, what is the craziest thing that you have done? I mean, you have the gift of evangelist. We're all called to share our faith, but some have that specific gift, that specific office. And so what's the craziest thing you have done as a sharer of Jesus? Well, it's funny because I think if I asked other friends, they all would have a different story about something that would be the craziest. But I would just say this, when I teach on evangelism, a lot of times I'll start off by giving kind of a wild example of something that I would do. So one instance would be, uh, if I'm driving through a neighborhood and I see, uh, we'll just say, if I see some Jehovah's Witnesses going down the street, I'll just park my car and get out and walk with them and uh, start asking them questions and start, uh, you know, challenging them on certain issues. But That's something that I do. I want to make sure that everyone knows that that's not for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. But the mission is for all of us. Can you take us to, just real quick, a specific story of when you did that? Yeah, actually. So not too long ago, I was... uh, I took a sabbatical break from ministry. I was running a painting business. And so I was off painting and I was actually painting my neighbor's house. And I noticed that there were uh, Jehovah's Witnesses going down the street in my neighborhood. And so I decided to uh, follow them and ask them challenging questions. Uh, you know, I, I'm very trained, obviously, on on what they believe and where I would find the error uh, in, in their theology, which is essentially that they don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. Um, and, you know, I followed them along. And uh, in this instance, they didn't come to Jesus, but they did feel uncomfortable enough that they stopped trying to evangelize my neighborhood. All right. Yeah. Literally walked with them down the street, kept asking them questions. Shadowed them. Yeah. But I don't necessarily have to do that. No, right? no. You know, and, and that's one of the things, too. In First Corinthians 3... You have this example where you have Apollos and Paul who are these great preachers. One's an apostle. One's this excellent preacher. And, and then it kind of gives us this assignment and this picture of what evangelism is. And, and ultimately, Paul and Apollos, they're just listed as just servants, the, whom you came to believe, right? Then it says that some plant, some water, 
but God gives the growth. And then later, you know, a lot of us are familiar with that verse, but in verse eight, it goes on and says, now the one who plants and the one who waters are, are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And I think that that word labor is really important because a lot of times we think, well, if I go witness to somebody and they don't come to faith, like I failed or I messed it up or whatever. And and what we have to understand is that when you engage, whether it be in just reaching out to somebody, touching base with them, planting the seeds, right? Evangelism is hard work. It's not, again, like I said, magic done by magicians. It's faithful obedience done by everyday Christians. Every time you clock in and every time you do work, for the Lord, there's reward in in it for you. It doesn't, he's the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who died on the cross. We can't save anyone, right? But it's our job as ambassadors of Christ, right, to go off planting those seeds and, and being faithful. I have a friend, one of the pastors at my church, he's a good friend of mine. He went and moved his whole family to a Muslim neighborhood in Detroit mm. and faithfully labored there in a very hard soil. And, and, you know, if I talked to him, he'd say, oh, it may not have been the most fruitful thing because that's hard work there, right? But in the end, the reward is great for that type of work. Aaron, back in 2020, we had to do some quarantining. <laughs> did, yes, we did. Did you, did you quarantine, lock in with your family? Oh, yeah, we followed all the rules. You know, we realized that that... Um, there's people who have uh, kind of views all over the place on that. But one of the things that did do was, it, it, you know, as we're living our lives through through culture, through all these other places, there's always times and analogies that we can draw in on the gospel. And I remember talking to some youth and, um, they, you know, they were really affected by this a lot, especially yeah. with school and other things. So that's something that was really on their mind. I was sharing the gospel and I was trying to explain sin and, and, and why, you know, sometimes the question comes up, well, why doesn't God just let everybody into heaven right now, just as they are. Like, and obviously as Christians, we know that there's something called sin and that Jesus was the solution. And so I basically was explaining to them, well, heaven is this perfect place. Uh, the, the key feature of course, is that God is there, but there's also no lying, no stealing, you know, no other, you know, sins and crimes and such like that. So if you want to think of it that way, uh, sin has been quarantined out of heaven, right? And as we were all born under what the Bible tells us is the curse of Adam. So not only do we have sin in our nature, but we have sin in our behavior, right? And so as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, geez, if I were to be invited into heaven as is Mm -hmm. without having received this cure, I would be the thing that infected heaven with sin. Mm. And God has promised us that when we get to the new heaven, the new earth, right? That sin and death will be no more. And so the blood of Christ itself is the cure for the disease of sin, you know, and it's like you're always trying to think of creative ways to share the gospel with people. Sometimes people aren't as open to hearing straight um, just Bible verses talk to them. And sometimes as Christians, what we need to do is we need to familiarize ourselves so much with the gospel that we could be creative and that we can make analogies. You know, when you're explaining something to someone, oftentimes you have to stop and say, well, you know, it's kind of like this, right? And in that instance, I was talking to some youth who were living through this quarantine life. And I'm like, well, you know what? It's kind of like this, right? Yep. Yep. So, you know, somebody's listening and they're thinking, man, if I were to go into heaven right now, I would be the one to cause the curse of sin to be there, the brokenness, the the mess to be there because I'm a mess. So what do they need to do to yeah, get that remedy? Yeah, well, that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. You know, you may remember that, you know, Jesus Christ lived, the Bible teaches us that he lived the life 
that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we should have died, and that by faith, when we trust in him, you know, the last words Jesus said was, it is finished. He's referring to the work of the atonement, the work of forgiving us, of curing us. And yes, there is this element where, yes, as a believer, if you've trusted in Christ alone for salvation, not your own works, uh, not your religious activities, not your sacramental, whatever you've done, but just straight up trusting that what Jesus did is enough for me. When you do that, the atonement is transferred to you. Your account is made clean. Your sin, your disease, if you will, whatever way you want to look at it, uh, the negative account in your balance, he takes the negative and he puts his righteousness in, thereby curing you. And yes, we still struggle, but one day the scripture tells us that he will complete the work that he began in us and we will be made perfect again, not just in our spirit, but also have resurrected bodies as well that don't ache and don't sin. I love Hebrews 10, 14, I believe it is. Yeah, Hebrews 10, 14. It says, because by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So when we give our lives to Jesus, we are cleansed of all of our sins, past, present, and future. But we still struggle with sin. We still have sin in our lives. But once we give our lives to Jesus, he sees us as perfectly cleansed and then he just begins the work of changing us from the inside out. And we just have that security of being loved and being changed in the process. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.